0: cinnamon cream brioche, mile-high lemon meringue pie, raspberry crumb bar, and sticky buns. Is your mouth watering yet? Mine is. (laughs) Those are just a few of the sweet treats that my guest has created. A woman who turned her back on the corporate world some 20-plus years ago in pursuit of her passion, pastries. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Live Your Best Life with Liz Bruner. I'm Liz Bruner, and I'm so thrilled to introduce you to the lovely and talented Joanne Chang, an American chef, restaurant owner, and winner of the James Beard Award for Outstanding Baker. Joanne, it's so great to have you here today for this episode. We're actually sitting together. I know. She's I'm so wonderful. excited. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so thrilled. You currently have—is it nine flower babies? We have eight, but you we're have... about to open the ninth in oh the spring. Gosh. That's all in the Boston area. Yes. Plus, you have a Southeast Asian street food restaurant, Myers and Chang, which is also fantastic. You co-own that with your husband, Christopher Myers. Yes. Did you ever imagine, as a graduate from Harvard University with a degree in applied mathematics and economics, that this would be your life today? Never. Literally, if you had said, I'll give you a million
1: dollars to guess that this would be your life, I would laugh in your face. I had no idea. There was so little in my background that would lead you to believe that I would end up in food. Other than the fact that, like many people, I love food. I love, <laughs> so do I. <laughs> I love thinking about food. Dreaming about food, reading about food, making food, eating food, and especially pastries. So I I guess if you look at that thread, then maybe you could take it to where I currently am. But otherwise,
0: no, no, not in a million years, not in in a million years. You originally studied astrophysics before switching to math. (laughs) And it begs the question, as a kid, what did you want to be growing up that made you want to even consider astrophysics in the first place? I think my desire to be an astrophysicist
1: was because I didn't know what that meant. I grew up in Texas, and what I love to do is go outside and look at the stars. And I loved astronomy. And so when I got to Harvard, I said I would love to do astronomy, which then I thought was astrophysics. So within a year, I recognized very quickly that that was way beyond my reach. I am not
0: a physicist of any sort. (laughs) While at Harvard, maybe this is sort of where it all began. You were known as the chocolate chip cookie girl. How did that come about? My freshman year, when I was studying astrophysics, I was
1: freaking out. I was so in over my head. But I had an incredible group of students, friends, who were in my study group. Every couple of days, we would meet as a group and talk about our problem sets. And we were supposed to work together. It was a very collaborative, major to work on and we would be working on these problem sets and I would have no idea what was going on. And everyone was so generous to explain to me and after a couple of sessions, I realized that I wasn't bringing anything to the table. (laughs) So I made cookies because one, it was a stress reliever and two, I felt like I should bring something just to these study groups where I wasn't contributing anything. We all enjoyed the cookies, and then we all worked on these problem sets together, and I tried to learn as much as I could from them. So after a year, when I switched majors to math, I stuck with the cookies because I just really enjoyed it. And by my junior year, I was actually selling the cookies to the student-run dormitory grill, and then they were selling them to the students.
0: How much did you sell them for? Do you even remember? Yes,
1: I remember I sold them for 25 cents each, and the grill sold them to students for three
0: for a dollar. Oh my gosh. I, I hope you made some sort of a profit on all of that. You know, I don't even
1: know if I made a profit. <laughs> Where's I... the math coming into play, right?
0: I did this for four semesters,
1: junior year and senior year, and every semester I think I netted enough to go to a running store and buy running shoes, because I had started running at that point, and so I probably made about
0: 50 or $60 a semester. Oh my gosh. You graduated from Harvard with honors in math, right? But really... You admit to saying, I didn't know what I wanted to do with that. And you got a management consultant job for the monitor. What exactly did you do with the math major as a consultant? I mean, I think a lot of seniors in
1: college don't really know what they want to do when they leave college. You're leaving this nice little bubble where everybody tells you what you're supposed to do. You have to take this many classes. You have to turn in this paper. You have to take this test. I wasn't quite sure what to do, and consulting seemed like the broadest career field to go into with my options right yeah a lot of different options and it wasn't as focused as like going to law school or medical school i was immediately put on cases with telecommunications vendors insurance i mean things that i knew nothing about but that's the great thing about consulting is that you learn really Mm -hmm. quickly and then you take whatever logic and problem-solving skills that you have, whether you've learned it in college or whether you just have them, and you try to apply them to the problems that these companies are presenting you with. The first year or so, I don't know how much value I added because I didn't know a lot, but by the second year, I started to understand a little bit more about my role as a consultant and it was really fun you know a lot of times people think oh you hated consulting and that's why you left to do food I actually really enjoyed consulting I just didn't love it I didn't wake up every day like
0: I can't wait to go to work and so once again you began selling your cookies to friends and family maybe that's your first entrepreneurial venture It was called Joanne's Kitchen I started a little company called Joanne's Kitchen where
1: I created a small menu of cookies and cakes and I gave it to everybody within the company. There were probably about a hundred employees at the time and I just said if you have a birthday party or anniversary celebration I would love to make your desserts and I probably sold five or six orders honestly over the course of two years. So I didn't sell a lot, but it did put the bug in my ear that this was something that I enjoyed doing. You loved baking. I do. Yeah, I did and I I love it. Yes.
0: Where did this love of pastries and baking come from? Because from what I know about your background, sweets were really not a big part of your life growing up. And in fact, you had a pretty traditional Chinese cuisine that was your main menu. So where did this come from? I think it's just in my DNA, to be
1: honest. (laughs) I mean, you're right. My, My background is very traditional, my parents are both from Taiwan, and in most Asian cultures, you don't end the meal with dessert. And so we would have dinner every single night and then we would just be done and no dessert. And I never really knew about the concept of dessert until I think I was probably about six or seven and I had dinner at my best friend's house. She lived next door and her mom at the end of dinner presented us with slices of chocolate cake. And I remember looking at it and saying, what is this? (laughs) We didn't want to be sitting at dinner. We wanted to be playing. And then her mom brought the cake. And I was like, no, this is where we want to be. And (laughs) I just remember biting into that cake and thinking, what have I been missing? So I ran home to mom and I said, mom, do you know that there's this amazing thing, chocolate cake, and we should have it every night? And she just says, no, no. (laughs) So my whole childhood, I think, was wanting to be surrounded by desserts and having a strict Asian mother who said no and so I think that fueled the fire a little bit sure. um, and then when I finally left for college and I was able to feed myself Did that you was something... eat dessert
0: first I know that's your <laughs> mantra <laughs> I would often go
1: to the cafeteria uh, the dining hall and I would go to the dessert area first and check it out
0: and plan my dinner based on what was for dessert you decide to quit take a year off and try to get a job in a restaurant kitchen I can't even imagine two things what your family had to say about that and how hard that must have been.
1: My family was supportive, but I think very concerned because their daughter, who they had just sent to college, Harvard, Harvard. was quitting her well-paying, stable job to go work in a restaurant, and that just wasn't what they had planned. And I think they were worried that Was I doing the right thing? And would I be safe? Would I make enough money to live? I mean, all of the things that now as an adult, I look back and I think, my gosh, I can't believe my parents let me do what I did. (laughs) I told them I was taking a year off. So it wasn't that I was going to leave consulting altogether. I said, I'm gonna take a leave of absence and work in a restaurant just to see what it's like. And then I'll figure out what I want to do. At that point, I think they realized that I was so stubborn and wanting to try this that there wasn't a lot they could do to dissuade me. You were serious I about I was serious. This. I really wanted to see what it was like. And when you're 24, you've got your whole life ahead of you. So you don't think about, well, I can't
0: try this for a year. It's like, okay, a year, what's a year? I think that's some of the mindset of the young people today. They try things and then they try something else yes. and then they try something else. And that was not my mindset growing up. And probably not yours either. Right. My parents had jobs that they had for 20
1: or 30 years. I mean, eventually we would move. My dad would change jobs. But typically, everybody in their peer group would just stay at one place for 20, 30, 40 years. But you're right. This generation will stay someplace for six months, maybe a year, and then try something
0: different. So you ultimately do get a job, which is good news. at Biba in Boston. And you were hired to run the bar food program, quickly promoted appetizer cook, and you loved this. I did. Why? There was something so gratifying
1: and thrilling about coming to work every day, not knowing what was going to happen, getting your station ready for service, and then as soon as the doors open the ticker tape system would start going and you would see people wanted four orders of this and one order of that, and now somebody wants this with sauce on the side. And, da, da, da. and it's like playing a game every day and you you basically dive in at the start of service and you don't really look up until the end of service and you hopefully pat yourself on the back on having completed all of your orders. So it's, every day was an adrenaline rush. I was just gonna say, it sounds like an yeah. adrenaline rush yes. that you must have gotten every day then i got a job at a bakery in newton center called bentonwood bakery and i spent a year there just learning the ins and outs of scratch baking i got a wonderful foundation um, working for rick katz he, rick katz was the opening pastry chef of biba the restaurant i had just come from and he had left biba to open his own bakery when i told my chef lydia that i wanted to get into pastry she said you should go work for rick he's fabulous so i spent a year with him And then I got hired to be the pastry chef at Rialto Restaurant in Cambridge. And that's where I met Christopher, my husband and and business partner. Our chef was Jody Adams, and that's where I met Jody. So I worked with them for two years before moving to New York City. And then I helped Francois Payard
0: open his patisserie. And you worked some pretty long hours. It was grueling. It was grueling. Uh, What did you say? 6 a.m. to midnight
1: or 4 a.m. to midnight? 4 a.m. till 10, 11 p.m. Go home, get in bed by midnight, and then wake up again three hours later to get ready for work. It was very, very intense. Six days a week. You had one day off, and we all had the same Sunday, and we would all spend it just doing laundry, catching up on sleep. It was (laughs) very intense. You know the bakers
0: get up at the crack of dawn. Yeah. But that's really... But then they go to bed early. Yeah, exactly, exactly. You dreamed of coming back to Boston and you wanted to open up a restaurant. You said you wanted it to be the bakery version of Cheers. What exactly did you mean by that?
1: Well, I wanted a place where when you walk in, everybody knows your name, everyone's excited to see you and you walk in and it feels like a home away from home. My very first bakery job at Bentonwood Bakery, working with Rick Katz, that was the environment they had created. It was in Newton Center and a lot of the guests would come in and all of the staff would know them. I was in the kitchen, so I didn't know everybody, but I would peek out at the pastry counter that we had just laid out and I would see the staff members greeting people and everyone was so happy to be there and I was so happy to be there. And so I wanted to recreate that. I wanted to create a little place where people could come in and know that
0: everybody was happy to see them. And you finally do. In 2000, you open up your first flower bakery. How daunting was that? If I knew how difficult
1: it was going to be, it would have been incredibly daunting. But I think ignorance is bliss. Sometimes. I just had this dream, I'm going to open this Cheers, you know, the bakery version of Cheers, and it'll be great. And then, you know, it was reality, really hard. But had I known all of that, I don't know that I would have continued going with the planning of it
0: because then it took you seven years before
1: you finally opened the
0: next one yes
1: I said there's no way I could ever go through that process again it's hard to put your heart out there for everybody to see and that's what you're doing when you're baking when you bake for friends it's great and Mm -hmm. you give it to them and you're giving it to them so either they like it or they don't but they're (laughs) going to be pleased because you've given it to them as soon as you're baking and putting a price tag on and it. And it's a business. And it's a business and people are walking in and it's not a gift and they want their $3 or their $4 to be well spent. Then it becomes very daunting and personal and every single guest who came in who wasn't happy, it just it ripped my heart apart. So that was really, really hard that first year because things weren't perfect and they still aren't. And every day there's challenges I had to learn how to delegate i had to learn how to give my team a better sense of what it was that i was trying to achieve with flower i had to try to let go a little bit and try not to be quite so hard on myself because i was ready to sell the place like i wanted at the 10th month i said this is crazy this
0: is what kept you going
1: you know i talked to my mom and i talked to christopher and both of them We're like, Joanne, just you need to take a step back and look at the business a little bit differently because what you've created is really special. You are tearing yourself apart over things that you can fix. And so Christopher especially was really helpful in just giving me perspective. He basically gave me permission to let go a little bit because every single thing that was wrong like I said, it was like a dagger to my heart. Sure. And by 10 months of it and not getting a lot of sleep, it wasn't enjoyable and I mm-hmm. didn't like it anymore. And I had spent all this time planning it, but it wasn't going well. And he said, you need to love this. Like you, you built this place to make your life better. So figure out how it can make your life better. And it sounds so obvious, but kind of that permission to mm-hmm. say, okay, then I'm gonna make this change. This person's gonna be in charge of
0: this and just try to let go a little bit important lessons that you learned. In 2007, that was a pretty big year. You opened up Myers and Chang with Christopher. And this is really a nod to your Taiwanese roots, I would yes, think. Yeah, exactly. And it's so good too. I oh, love, thank I you. love the eclectic flavors <laughs> that are there. And then that very same year, you appeared on the Food Network's Throwdown with Bobby Flay, and you beat him. Yes. Oh my gosh! What did you make that beat him? We made our sticky, sticky buns, and I had no idea it
1: was a throwdown. They don't tell you that you are being challenged by Bobby Flay. I think they make up a premise for every person who's on the show, and for me. They said that they were filming the pilot episode of a new Food Network series called The Science of Sweets, and they wanted me to just film the pilot episode. They needed two days, and I love science and math and pastries, and I thought this would be such a great way for me to do something I love, which is teach people about baking and about math and science. Oh my god! So I said, sure you're going to come so they came ago. to they you. came here okay. and we filmed for two days under the guise of filming the pilot episode of this new series and I'm teaching the audience how to make sticky buns because that was the focus of the show Bobby Flay walks in and says I'm challenging you to a throwdown. And I was so confused because were you in shock? I was in shock because they had to stop the camera and explain to me cuz I said, no, "No, no, no. I'm filming The Science of Sweets." And he said,
0: <laughs> "No, really?" Not. And I said, "No,
1: no, I am." I said, "I can I can be challenged to a throwdown after this. But right now, I got to do this. I got to finish this pilot." And he said, "No, this is the pilot." And they stopped the camera. They explained it to me, and I You know how sometimes it just takes a minute. And I thought, really? There's no science of sweets, but what did we do yesterday? What did we do this morning? They're like, no, 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 that's all for this. Oh, my gosh. And then we go through the whole thing where he had been making sticky buns off-site. And, again, we had the studio audience, and I was already prepared with my sticky buns, so we did a taste-off. And then there were judges, and then we won.
0: Had you known beforehand? Again, had I known, I'm sure I would. Have it would
1: have been completely exactly. different, right? It
0: would have been completely different. So you talk about teaching people how to cook, and I know you have a number of cookbooks. Is it five now that yes, you have? Yes, just published the fifth. The Pastry Love, which yes. is your your most recent one, and it's gotten great reviews as well. My question always is to cooks and chefs who have cookbooks: Can anyone? actually make those things in the cookbook and they taste like what you want them to taste like? Absolutely. My goal with the books is to make
1: sure exactly that, that you, Liz, can take this book and go home and make these recipes and have them come out like as if I did. They go through a really rigorous testing process. First, obviously, I test it. I test it and make sure that it's written exactly the way I want it. I have a group of cookbook testers and I send the recipes out and I say the first 3 people to respond I need you to make this recipe and give me feedback by and I give them a deadline. And then they get a standard List of questions, and then they have to send me the answers along with a picture of the actual item. Based on that feedback, I'll send the recipe out again. Typically, there's something that I didn't explain quite well, or maybe some measurement wasn't quite right, and then I'll adjust the recipe, and then I send it out again. So, usually after the first round, I'd say 80% of the recipes are good to go, which is great. But then there's that 20% where maybe I miswrote something, or the recipe itself is just incorrect, and then I tweak it, and then it goes out again. then again and again until it's perfect who knew there was
0: that much testing that went into them but that does make a lot of sense now you also created a flavor of frozen yogurt for pink berry
1: oh right that was a couple years ago (laughs) oh my gosh yes how did that come about they reached out and said that they wanted to um, do something local so they said we would love to come up with a sticky bun pink berry And so we worked on making something with a little bit of honey, a little bit of brown sugar, a little bit of nuts on top with the caramel and the goo. It was really delicious.
0: Now, you talked about your running a little while ago, and I know you did the Boston Marathon several times from 1991 to 2006, I think. I, I can't even believe that. It's fantastic. And I also know that you've told me that you bike around the city to your various locations. Oh, yeah. Do you still do that? I do, I mean, when the weather
1: is good. So yeah. I was actually just looking at the weather report and tomorrow's supposed to be in the 60s, so yes, I'm going to bike around. Basically, if it's above freezing and if it's not raining or You'll snowing, bike. I'll bike. If
0: the roads aren't wet, I'll bike. It's so much easier to get around. Well, I agree with that, but also probably with all the taste testing you do. <laughs> that helps it's you helpful. stay nice and fit and <laughs> trim, I know that. So 2016, you're named the James Beard Award winner for Outstanding Baker, one of the most prestigious culinary awards given out each year. What meaning does this award have for you? For me, it's honestly a reflection of
1: what we have accomplished as a team, especially in 2016. I am not physically baking anymore. I am busy running, you know, the eight soon-to-be-nine bakeries. You're a business owner. And so winning Outstanding Baker is a reflection of the bakers and the, the entire team at Flower that are able to recreate and bake off these amazing pastries and present them to the world. Mm. For me, it was a really great way to kind of recognize everybody at Flower who's been a part of us. And we have a long history of many team members who've been with us for years and years and years. And I think it's a, for them, it's like a, it's a nice pat on the back for an amazing
0: job. I think you said to me once that you and your husband were there at the award ceremony. You accepted your award but you didn't stick around. You guys went off, right? And had pizza. (laughs) Is that right? You're right. So
1: after the awards, there's always a big party. There's always a little taste around where you walk around and people are giving uh, away little tastes. And then after that, there's typically parties that chefs in town will host for all of the visiting chefs who are coming in. We wanted to be with each other in a quiet place, and so we found a little pizza plate, a little Italian restaurant nearby. And we sat and had dinner. I mean, the other thing is that you you don't eat because the, the <laughs> awards are early and then it, they go on for a really long time. And then the little taste around is like little mi- mini taste. So we were like starving. That's not dinner. <laughs> yes, exactly. So we really wanted to just have dinner together and- And we, celebrate yourselves. Yeah, and so we kind of forwent
0: the parties, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> eschewed the parties mm. and just spent time together, which is always my favorite. So lovely. You've been featured in so many magazines, Gourmet, Food & Wine, Bon Appetit, The New York Times, Forbes, tremendous success. But this industry, running a business is more than just being a good baker or a chef, it's really not for the faint of heart. And one of the reasons I love doing these podcasts is because I enjoy talking with people like yourself who've created these next chapters for themselves and are living their best lives. And you are known for giving people a chance, people who want next chapters. You've run into so many people who've wanted career changes themselves. They've either been in finance or law or wanted to open bakeries. How do you know if someone has the right it to make it in the business that you're in? That's a
1: really great question because so many people have that desire Mm -hmm. to, at least for my business, to come into the bakery or the restaurant business, but they don't know exactly what it's like. And it's hard for me to dissuade them because I never want to tell somebody that they shouldn't pursue their dream. I guess one way that I know is that I tell them first, are you willing to get a job in this industry before you go and open your own bakery or restaurant? And if they say, yes, I am ready to commit. I'm going to try it. You know, I'm, gonna get, I'm going to get a beginner baking job or a beginner prep job, and I'm gonna do what it takes and keep with it until I can open my own place, then I think there's a good chance that they could do it. But if people say, I don't wanna work in a bakery, I just wanna open a bakery, and you'd be surprised at the number of people who say that, Mm -hmm. then I think that they have their work cut out for them because once you open a bakery, you're working in a bakery. (laughs) And so I feel that you're better served by going to work for somebody where you can actually Learn, see what it's like right. exactly and
0: almost an apprenticeship if yes. you will or internship yes and i know you've you've been so generous with a lot of people over the years who've wanted to do that you believe that everyone has a story and that sharing your story is through food what does your story say about you or what does your food say about your story
1: i think that my food really does try to celebrate the simple pleasures of life. I think that my story is that life is so challenging for everybody. And I know that for each person, for their individual perspective, they have challenges in their life. Even the the most fortunate person. Everybody does. Everybody does. And I go into the world knowing that we're all faced with challenges. And Mm -hmm. my goal is to just try to take the edge off a little bit and try to make people a little bit happier and feeling a little bit more okay in this world because I know how hard it can be. And I know that when I'm having a crappy day (laughs) to have a great dessert, to have a bite of a sticky bun or a perfect chocolate chip cookie or to go with Christopher and have an Italian dinner with pizza, it can take even the worst day and make it better. That's what our food hopefully does is it gives you a little bit of perspective on focusing on something that brings you pleasure and makes you happy so that you can face the world which is so unpredictable and so full of both ups and downs. For you, is that what living your best life is about? Absolutely, trying to help people understand
0: their place in this world by bringing them a little bit of joy through food one final question before we close out what one kitchen utensil could you not live without there's a difference between home
1: and then in the professional kitchen oh okay so at home it would be chopsticks i use chopsticks for everything i use chopsticks when i'm cooking i use chopsticks obviously when i'm eating i use chopsticks to get things out of jars i use chopsticks like the extension of my hand in the bakery i think one of the most valuable tools for me is similar in that it's an extension of my hand but an offset spatula with an offset spatula you can do so much with cakes with tarts with cookies, with so
0: much i was going to say for me it's my butcher knife <laughs> oh yeah i mean yes a knife is hugely important as well and i can use a butcher knife in almost any way possible <laughs> terrific well if Any of you who are listening or ever in Boston or Cambridge make plans to stop by Flower Bakery and Cafe or Myers and Chang. I promise you, you will not be disappointed, especially if you order those famous sticky, sticky buns, (laughs) right? (laughs) Joanne, it's a pleasure to speak with you today. I'm so glad that you're here, and I'm so excited for your success. Thanks so much for joining me today. Thank you so much. And thanks for joining me on Live Your Best Life with Liz Bruner.